Torches fled murkily on the revels in the mall, where the thieves of the East held carnival by night. In the mall they could carouse and roar as they liked, for honest people shunned the quarters, and watchmen, well paid with stained coins, did not interfere with their sport. Along the crooked, unpaved streets, with their heaps of refuse and sloppy puddles, drunken roisters staggered, roaring. Steel glinted in the shadows, where wolf preyed on wolf, and from the darkness rose the shrill laughter of women and the sounds of scufflings and strugglings. Torchlight licked luridly from broken windows and wide thrown doors, and out of those doors stale smells of wine and rank sweaty bodies, clamor of drinking jacks and fists hammered on rough tables, snatches of obscene songs rushed like a blow in the face. I wonder if the mall has shirtless Tuesdays. <laughs> Every day is shirtless in the mall. <laughs> <laughs> that paragraph conjures up lots of pretty rank imagery, like the yeah. torchlight licks luridly, yeah. etc. But I think it's sloppy puddles that oh, really gets me. That's the, mm, I can see them. I don't like it. But I do like this story. Yes. The Tower of the Elephant by Robert E. Howard and Robert E. Howard was admired by H.P. Lovecraft, and that's why we're talking about it on the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. Here at hppodcraft.com, I'm Chad Pfeiffer. And I'm Chris Lackey. Our reader that we heard there at the top was Christopher Barnes, Kip Barnes, coming back to the show. Kip Barnes actually picked this story out as per his Kickstarter contribution level, mm-hmm. and when I say picked, what I meant is he said he really wanted a Conan story. And I picked the most Lovecraftian one I could remember. This was one of my favorites as well. This one's fantastic. I picked up the Del Rey collections. It has all those stories in order. This was the one that actually really hooked me. You know, it's, it's also an interesting time for us to do Conan since we kicked off this month with Lynn Carter. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about how Carter had done a Derleth-like thing with Howard's stories. You know, how he, they were posthumous collaborations. Yes. There was a comment on that show I wanted to read here. Uh, okay. It was by Prof Mammoth. And I thought it was pretty interesting. This is what it says. Lynn Carter and El Sprague Ducamp were definitely Robert E. Howard's Derleth. They strung R.E.H.'s great stories together using their own prose to create novel-length adventures. This heavily distorted the popular view of Conan. It distorted the series from a bunch of standalone adventures in the life of an exceptional adventurer to an an upwardly mobile Superman destined to rule an empire. Even Howard suggested that the throne of Aquilonia was not the last chapter of Conan's life. The biggest difference between Ducamp Carter and Derleth is this damning fact. Derleth at least presented Lovecraft's writing in its original format. While Robert E. Howard's writing was not in print in its original format until the Del Rey publications in 2004. What? Hate on Derleth all you want. Fact is, he only spoiled his own stories and kept the original material in print and intact. Wow. Of course, Carter and Sprague weren't publishers. They were fanboys, too, and they didn't try to hide their hand in the novels. It's also possible the novel format was what was required to make Conan popular again. After all, Conan was reintroduced to the public as a result of the appetite for fantasy writing triggered by the publication of Lord of the Rings in the 1950s. And yeah, I absorbed Conan through the movies and the comic books. Sure. I, I wasn't really familiar with the original stories. The Del Rey publications were actually my first look at the stories, and those are great to get because they're, they're three books and they're, the, the stories are ordered as they were written. Mm-hmm. And usually when people would get these, they were reordered into a more of a biographical narrative. Right. They were chronologically ordered per Conan's life as opposed to when the stories were actually written. Right. And that completely was not Robert E. Howard's intention. No. I have a 
couple of quotes from him talking about it. There was one he said, In writing these yarns, I've always felt less as creating them than as if I were simply chronicling his adventures as he told them to me. That's why they skip around so much, without following a regular order. The average adventurer, telling tales of a wild life at random, seldom follows any ordered plan, but narrates episodes widely separated by space and years as they occur to him. So clearly, he didn't want them to be ordered that way. Oh, that's so cool. That it's like Conan's telling these stories about these things that happened to him. And it, it kind of makes sense that way because <laughs> the way he is in the stories almost sound like he is telling his own story. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. In fact, he says uh, another Howard quote, The man Conan seems suddenly to grow up in my mind without much labor on my part. And immediately a stream of stories float off my pen or rather off my typewriter, almost without effort on my part. I did not seem to be creating, but rather relating events that had occurred. Episode crowded on episode so fast that I could scarcely keep up with them. For weeks, I did nothing but write of the adventures of Conan. The character took complete possession of my mind and crowded out everything else in the way of story writing. Wow. So it's like Conan just showed up and said, Here, here's what I got to tell you, man. It's all over the place, but uh. get it down. And the other thing is there's so much of Robert E. Howard's self in these stories. Yeah. We, we talk about that as we go. But, yeah. but that's probably the worst thing about them being crammed together into this because you know they're stuck together in order but then also these pastiches that the other writers did are put in there as well and those pastiches were not always based on conan's best stories because robert e. howard wrote a lot of these later on for mm -hmm. money to get the cover of weird tales so that's when he would introduce more of the sex element conan right. would be less of an interesting character so those were the stories that the fanboys were kind of more interested in a lot of the sure, time. So even sure. the pastiches were not pastiches of his best material. Anyhow, before we go any further, let's interrupt for a moment to talk about Chicago. Yes, I am excited about the Chicago show. I am so very excited. <laughs> we're going to be at the Charnel House in Logan Square on October 10th. What, what time is the show going to be? 7 p.m. 7 p.m. that evening. Yeah, get there early, though, because, I mean, well, doors open at 6. Our guys at Warpo are going to be there, and they're going to have their goods to shill. I'm very excited about it. We're going to be doing a giveaway with them as well, which is something we we hadn't talked about, but they're going to be giving away some of their items for, I don't know, quiz questions or who traveled the furthest, or I don't know, we'll figure something out, but... You can either buy or you might win some of the stuff there. Going to be a whole evening of excitement. First, Dave Stitton, a local comedian and friend of Chad and mine's, that's going to open up for us. And a reader from the show? And a reader from the show, of course, yes. Wonderful reader from the show. Then we're going to do our live show. Andrew Lehman is going to be there. He will be at... So he's every live show. Andrew Lehman has been there. Yeah, he's making the effort. He is awesome. I love him so much. Then we're going to have a short break, and then it's going to be the comedy quiz with Ken Height, Andrew Lehman, and myself, and Dave Stinton's going to be hosting it. And then after that, we're going to go out on the town. I don't know exactly where, but we'll let everybody know what the after party, where that's going to be at, and then just have a good time. It's going to be so great. All right, enough Chicago business. Let's get back to uh, Conan. You know, Howard wrote a ton of Conan stuff. He first published Conan in a story called The Phoenix on the Sword, which was in 1932 in Weird Tales. Right. But he first wrote about Conan in a poem called, now, this is something I meant to talk to you about. Is it Chimeria or Chimeria? I always said Samaria or Chimeria. The poem was called, the chim was called Chimeria. Conan is in that poem, but a lot of the structure of that poem seems to be borrowed from Plutarch's lives. Mm. Have we talked yeah. about Plutarch on the show at all? We have. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, actually, the first Conan story was actually a call story. Right. Uh, he had already written, you know, several call stories, and he revised it to meet some requirements from Weird Tales. Howard was a lot more flexible with editorial control than, say, H.P. Lovecraft, you know? Right. Uh, yeah. Sometimes Wright would reject Lovecraft's stories, and Lovecraft wouldn't like his notes, so he just would never rewrite them. 
Right. Howard had no problem with this. And so this call story, right, it had some notes about it. And so he rewrote it, made it a Conan story. He removed a female love interest, I think. And mm-hmm. and so that that was the, the phoenix on the sword. Yeah, you know, good old Farnsworth Wright, the editor of Weird Tales, he told mm-hmm. Howard after this story to write an 8,000-word essay detailing the world of Conan. And using this essay as a guideline, Howard wrote the story that we're covering today. So he, like, just built this world and then... Mm-hmm told a story from from this world setting. Yeah. And, and by the time he died, he wrote 21 Conan stories and 17 of them were published and there was also a bunch of fragments. And those were what were converted into other stories by Ducamp and Exactly. But let's uh, let's jump into the story. It might take us a couple of episodes to cover it. Yes. Just cuz we love it so much and it's a little longer. The story starts off in a place called The Mall and that's The Mall like a bear attack or a big hammer, (laughs) not a shopping plaza. Like Darth Maul. Exactly. This is definitely your wretched hive of scum and villainy. The Mm -hmm. worst of the worst. It's very dark. There seems to be one candle lighting the whole place. So, I mean, that's really dark. (laughs) It seems like a place you can just kind of be yourself, though, you know? (laughs) Yes. It seems pretty terrifying, actually. I don't know if I'd want to go there at all. I I definitely would not want to go there. So there's this one guy described as fat and gross and a rogue, also being the raconteur of the evening. Right. He comes from this place called Koth, and he said, I'm here to teach these Zamorians, which is where Maul is. He goes, I've come here to teach these Zamorians how to kidnap women because they don't know what the heck they're doing. (laughs) Which is, I guess that's something you brag about. Yeah. And Zamora, I guess it is. But the Zamorians are born, what they say, you know, the narrator says in the story, that Zamorians are born with more knowledge of kidnapping women than this fat guy could ever attain. <laughs> They're born with it. It's, it's <laughs> like babies. <laughs> spider spin webs, Zamorians kidnap ladies. I, but I was wondering, is he he's there to teach him? Is he setting up workshops? Is he like... <laughs> He rented a space. He's handing out flyers, you know. <laughs> Happen to be in the Zamora area. I'm doing a woman stealing class. It's 250 bucks. No experience necessary. If you enroll now, you get a discount on the improv class that comes in right after. It's a great. It's a great deal. Could be, you know, book. Bring the book club. Ladies night. Steal other ladies. <laughs> This uh, Cothian guy says he's got a job to kidnap this girl, and he's been planning mm-hmm. it for weeks. He's bragging about it, that this girl is so beautiful that folks would, would be willing to trade the secret of the elephant tower for her. Yeah. So after he says this, this big, muscly, black-haired, blue-eyed dude with a sword at his side comes up behind him and goes, hey, what were you saying about that elephant tower? <laughs> this dude is Conan. You know, it's not revealed yes. right away, but... It, it's Conan. He, it says he is as a gray wolf among magey rats, which is a great description. Yeah. But this is young Conan. Yes. This is kind of inexperienced Conan. Yeah. He doesn't really know ways of civilization much at all. Yeah. He's just come out of the barbarian wasteland and now is trying to figure out how people live in the city. So to him, yeah. this is a totally alien world. This very uncivilized city to him is represents civilization. Yeah. That, that's how much he doesn't get it yet. So this Kothian just laughs at Conan and says, any idiot knows the priest Yar lives there with a great jewel called the elephant's heart. And that's the source of all of his magic. Hmm. And then Conan's like, oh, okay. Well, uh, you know, those walls around that place, they're pretty weak. And I don't see any guards around there. So why has anybody stolen the gem? And then this Kothian guy laughs at him again and says, what are you, one of them northern barbarians? And Conan goes, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, I am a Chimerian. <laughs> the Chimerians were an ancient Indo-European people living at the north of Caucasus in the Sea of 
Azov as early as 1300 BC. Linguistically, they're regarded as Iranian, possibly Thracian. Oh, you mean like, so there is a historical Khmerian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, see, the thing is with Howard is he loved history and he really studied a bunch of it. However, he couldn't really be bothered with getting facts straight because well, I get it because there's so much his, he doesn't want to be limited in his storytelling by the facts. Right, right, exactly. But I actually do, you know, he wanted to write historical fiction. I know that he said that if he had his druthers, that's what yeah. he would prefer to be writing. Right. But he said it. there's not a good market for it. And on top of that, it takes him so long because he wants to get everything right. Right. Yes. Yeah. Because the research involved to doing those things, it, it takes a lot of time. I mean, heck, doing the yeah. show. Like we, I spend almost a day <laughs> reading and doing notes on this show. <laughs> and we still get everything wrong. And we get it wrong. <laughs> no, of course. I mean, to, to do historical fiction, he didn't want to ever deviate from how things actually happen because he felt like that would ruin what was going on in it. But also, so he would take these things and then you're right, he would make them kind of however he wanted them to. In fact, the world of Conan has a lot of basis in different historical periods, different historical groups of peoples. Yeah. And he just kind of throws them all together to create this world. He gives them the name of real peoples to make them feel more like they're actual real people. Lovecraft criticized Howard for doing this, actually. He said, oh. the only flaw in this stuff is Robert E. Howard's incurable tendency to devise names too closely resembling actual names. Yeah. Names which, for us, have a very different set of associations. So he thought this was a bad thing to do because then people would think it was historic. Right. Even though it's not, instead of coming up with all of the crazy Lovecraft, you know, right. Plateau of Lang stuff. Yeah. It, well, for, for me, I don't know anything about the real Chimerians or Chimerians or any of that stuff. So it doesn't bother me. But if you were historically versed in these things and you started reading stories, I can see you getting very confused. I suppose. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. It doesn't really seem to be the focus of the no, stuff. No, not at all. These stories are just uh, he's such a good writer. His yeah. storytelling and the way he just strings sentences together, it just flows. It just shoots mm. right off the page into my mind. That said, there is a lot of silly, juvenile, wish fulfillment kind of stuff going on. It is wish fulfillment. The idea that Conan is as tough as he is. Yeah. So the Cothian goes on to say that in a very patronizing way that Zamora is full of the lowest, nastiest thieves. And if they can't steal it, no one can. You didn't see any guards. Well, that's because there are no human guards, you primitive screwhead. <laughs> At least not outside. Then Conan is like, well, why don't you just scale up the tower and avoid the guards inside the tower? And the Cothian says, what? What, are you going to fly up there on your sissy wings? You can't climb it. <laughs> it's like polished glass. Now, folks are laughing at Conan. Everybody is really getting into this guy, making fun mm. of Conan. But Conan isn't getting it. And again, it's not because he's stupid. He just can't imagine someone being so foolish as to mock him in front of everybody because he would split their head open. Uh, right. Literally. So he's like, oh, this guy couldn't be making fun of me because if he was making fun of me, I would kill him on the spot. I also think that he doesn't necessarily understand mocking laughter. Right. Because mocking laughter is less voluntary, right? You know, when something's funny, you just you just laugh. Right. But when you are laughing at somebody, it's a little bit forced. It's something that you're doing to belittle them. Yeah. And I don't think Conan really gets that. But definitely, that's the greatest lines in the story come out of this conflict, as you say, because it says, The Chimerian glared about, embarrassed at the roar of mocking laughter that greeted this remark. He saw no particular humor in it and was too new to civilization to understand its discourtesies. This is the line. Civilized men are more discourteous than savages because they know they can be impolite without having their skulls split as a general thing. Exactly. That's, <laughs> That's the it. greatest line in the whole story to me. <laughs> That's it. And it, it is true. I mean, society does allow you to be an a- yeah. That's one of the benefits. Yeah. And that really goes to the heart of Conan being a barbarian or, or to how Howard treats the term 
Because Conan, he, he's not a barbarian because he's stupid or savage or less evolved or anything like that. He just exists without laws. Mm-hmm. He doesn't involve himself in the social compact. So if he wants something, he takes it. Yeah. If you insult him, he may kill you. Yeah. The idea of what civilization means was this was something that was bandied about by Howard and Lovecraft and their correspondence. Mm-hmm. And obviously Lovecraft saw civilization and tradition as crucial to human development and right. to creation of beauty, while Howard often saw only the bureaucracy and the corruption. And their discourse was more nuanced than that. The, the good thing about this discourse between the two authors was that if he wanted to talk to Lovecraft about his ideas about barbarianism, he better have like historical backing for it. He right. had to go and like draw from things and try to defend himself. And that informed both of the authors' work. Right. And how they approach this stuff. But it's Conan's absolute lawlessness that first drew me into these stories, not his prowess with a sword or strength or how muscular he is or how many chicks he bangs or any of the stuff that might leap out in the comic books if you're not acquainted with the character through other media. I mean, I think I've talked about it before that there's the story where he just splits that judge's skull. He actually (laughs) does it. You know, in the courtroom. There's that other story, too, where I just love it, where Conan goes into into this dude's mansion, Mm -hmm. steals his stuff, Sleeps with his wife, you know, because she's into it, obviously, because Conan's hot. And she goes, oh, yeah. wow, a barbarian stealing some stuff. Why don't you have sex with me? And Conan's like, of course I will. And he has sex with her, runs away. And then the guy comes back and he's furious that somebody has come in and stolen his stuff and slept with his wife. And he goes, yeah. I'm going to send out people to find this guy and kill him. Then Conan hears about this guy sending out people to come after him. And Conan gets mad at the dude for like how dare he send guys after so he goes back and kills the guy like totally justified this poor dude (laughs) he robbed him and slept with his wife and the guy's like you know wants a little justice I guess is probably the appropriate word and Conan was insulted by this guy wanting justice and then goes and kills him it's crazy it's crazy, but I don't know. It's super appealing for it some is, reason. It is. It's the, it's the untamable man. He has this crazy amount of freedom. That's what it is. It's freedom. His personal power and skill allows him this unbridled freedom. And Sort of that, that uh, film, Nicholas Vending Riffin film about uh, Bronson, about Charles Bronson, not the actor, but the, the criminal, the British criminal. Mm-hmm. It's in that genre, which you don't see too often, which is the untamable man right. genre. Even this guy that's in prison that's in solitary confinement for decades mm-hmm. seems to be freer than most of us because he just won't bend to anybody. And every time they try to make him, he beats him up. <laughs> you know, he gets in a fight. Back to the story. Boy, we're, we're not getting very far in it. The Kothian says, okay, smarty barbarian, you tell these folks who have been stealing for longer than you've been alive how one should get the gym mm-hmm. because you know, seem to know everything. And then Conan goes, well, there's always a way if the desire be coupled with courage. Boom. It's like, oh, he's dropping the mic. <laughs> this sticks the coffee and off. He gets so mad and he grabs Conan by the tunic and he says, you dare tell us how to do our jobs and call us cowards? Get out of here. And then Conan says, will you mock me and then lay hands on me? Like, he's like, what? I can't believe this is happening. And then all hell breaks loose. And then the one candle that is lying in the room, gets knocked over, so it's all dark. You just hear a bunch of fighting going on, and then mm-hmm. it gets quiet. Somebody lights the candle. The Kothian is dead, stabbed, and Conan is nowhere to be seen. I thought that was such a cool choice to have the fight happen in the dark like that, because typically that would happen in the theater 
or in film, you know, or mm-hmm. even in a comic book, some kind of visual medium. You might do this kind of thing in order to save yourself from having to stage a fight. Oh, right. <laughs> or to draw all the violence. But to do it in the story, to do it in prose, you're merely doing it for a fun effect or just a fun way to present this to the yeah. reader. That Who knows what Conan did, but the candle went out. There was a bunch of noise. And when it came up again, that guy was dead and he was gone. Yep. He didn't have to describe how Panther-like he ripped his head off no. or anything like that. He did something that was purely just for fun. No. But in Chapter 2, we, we do start off with the supple of a great tiger. That's right. <laughs> his steely muscles rippling under his brown skin. <laughs> so Conan is slinking away around the darkened streets of Zamora. His tunic got ripped in that fight, so he's topless yeah. now. Just a loincloth and his knee-high sandals. He's rocking that barbarian look. He doesn't wear flip-flops. What? Like these other guys do. And nah, Nobody wears flip-flops. I, for a minute, I thought, it wouldn't it be funny if a... Conan was trying to sneak up to the tower and it was like, snap, 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 snap. <laughs> but he's slinking around like a tiger. Right, exactly, yeah. That's he, what Conan does. He's uh, gone into the part of the city that's just temples, like the temple district, I guess, mm-hmm. of, of Zamora. The temple district. Uh, no, nobody's around. I guess it's bad juju to steal from the temples. And anyone that has tried to steal from these temples just don't come back. He's walking on his own. There's not even any city guards. Now, these gods, the Zamorians worship... They were very complicated and stupid, according to Conan. Like, he's just like, what? You have to, they have these really complicated stories and, like, they have relationships with each other. And he's like, forget that stuff. I like gods that are simple and to the point. Krom is the king. He lived on a mountain. He hated weaklings. And he gave you everything you needed at birth. If you weren't awesome, it was your own damn fault. Krom will give a man courage at birth and the will and might to kill enemies. Maybe not all men get this, but, but some. And Conan is like, that's quite enough. Yeah. And it also implicates religion as part of that civilizing force. Because religion is all about it being obedient, following rules, following traditions. Conan's like, you got life, you have some talents, good enough. Don't pray to Krom after that. Don't ask him for things. Krom's busy. <laughs> Krom's up on his mountain doing stuff. And that makes sense to him. And to me a little bit too. I was yeah. like, yeah, that's pretty cool because it's sort of, it's almost deistic. It's like uh, Krom pushes you off. You're born. That's it, man. That's yeah. the end of the relationship. Krom's giving you everything you need. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting notion, but it's also just fun to go, Krom, when you're angry. <laughs> it as, really is. As you know, we like to do that. To hell with you. Finally, uh, Conan sees it. <laughs> the Tower of the Elephant. He wonders why it was called that, because he's never actually seen an elephant, but he's heard mm. from some... Uh, a Shemite has described an elephant to him. Yes. It has a tail in the front as well as the back. He's never seen any elephant. And there are no elephants in Zamora. But he approaches this tower. The shimmering shaft of the tower rose frostily in the stars. In the sunlight it shone so dazzling that few could bear its glare, and men said it was built of silver. It was round, a slim perfect cylinder, a hundred and fifty feet in height, and its rim glittered in the starlight with the great jewels which crusted it. The tower stood among the waving exotic trees of a garden raised high above the general level of the city. A high wall enclosed this garden. And outside the wall was a lower level, likewise enclosed by a wall. No lights shone forth. There seemed to be no windows in the tower, at least not above the level of the inner wall. Only the gems high above sparkled frostily in the starlight. So Conan goes and checks out the walls, and they're totally climbable, but he doesn't know a lot about what goes on in Zamora. Mm -hmm. Because... He's like, man, these people are crazy and they do evil stuff. 
and he's not really sure what powers they have. So to him, he's like, it seems really easy, but maybe there's some trick that I'm not aware of. Right, because he's heard stories about this Yara the priest. There's one story specifically where Yara the priest, there was a prince that was kind of giving him some backlip. And Mm -hmm. so just because he was doing that, he pulled out this gem. Ray's shot blindingly from that unholy jewel to envelop the prince who screamed and fell down and shrank to a withered blackened lump that changed to a black spider which scampered wildly about the chamber until Yara set his heel upon it. Wow. That is harsh. It's harsh and it's the kind of thing you might take for granted after decades of fantasy lit. Yeah. At the time, it's a pretty novel idea that he turned him into a little spider and then crushed him under his heel. I don't know. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, I just love the description too that he shrank into a withered blackened lump that changed Mm -hmm. into a black spider. Like that detail... Just yeah, makes yeah. it so visceral for some reason. He didn't just change him into a bug. It was yeah. this process that was kind of nasty. Yeah. So the King of Zamora, the guy that's in charge now, is totally scared of Yara. And yeah. so scared that he's just drunk all the time because he can't <laughs> right. deal with being afraid of him. And actually, I'm pretty scared of Yara as well. Uh-huh. That's why I drink all the time. Right. That's the only reason. Huh? That's yeah. the only reason I drink all the time is hey. because I'm afraid of Yara. A lot of fear of Yara in my family. I think it's genetic. <laughs> So Conan hears someone pass by on the other side of the wall, and there's a clink of metal, so he he's pretty sure it's a guard. And mm-hmm. he waits for the guy to pass again, but he doesn't. He's like, what? Hmm, that's weird. Curiosity gets the best of him. He jumps the wall to see what happened. Just want to call out that Howard wrote this line. The starlight fell on the even sword, and somewhere a fountain tinkled. <laughs> he's gentle with his description yeah. sometimes, too. Yeah. There's a fountain tinkling off in the distance. There's no cover (laughs) on the other side of the wall, so Conan's feeling a little bit bare, you know, Mm -hmm. being out in the open. There's nothing to hide behind. But there are some shrubs near the inner wall. As he moves over to those shrubs, he trips over a body, and it's a fallen guard. There's no wounds on him, so he goes, oh, I bet you this dude was strangled. Yeah. But it's only been a short time, so whoever strangled him has to be around, and so Conan's on guard. And then he sees a motion in the shrubs by the inner wall. He pulls out his blade. This guy comes at Conan barehanded. He sees the sword p- pointed right at, at him, so this guy uh-huh. just stops there, and he looks at Conan. He's like, you're not a soldier. You're a thief like me. And the guy introduces himself as Taurus of Nemedia, and then Conan gets all starstruck and says, men call you the Prince of Thieves. Yeah. Actually, I'm now known as the artist formerly known as the Prince of Thieves. Oh, sorry, that was a terrible joke. It's an old joke, too. <laughs> That's pretty good. I'm ashamed of it. I shouldn't have You should have said he was Taurus of New Media. <laughs> That's terrible, too. (laughs) But uh, he's like, yep, that's me. So Conan knows who this dude is. The guy's a little heavy. Yeah, he's kind of a bigger, not your typical lithe, panther-stealing type guy. He's (laughs) He's he's got a gut. He's got a gut. He finds it a little hard to believe that this guy is an awesome thief because he looks so portly. But Mm -hmm. when the guy starts moving around, he's like, he's got panther-like moves. Yeah, he's got the panther moves, too. He asks Conan, finally, what... His name is, and Conan says, I'm Conan. And he goes, okay, great. He says, you're here looking for the elephant's heart. This guy, Fort Taurus, he starts laughing so hard, but not in a mean way. And he says, by Bell, God of thieves, I had thought only myself had courage to attempt that poaching. These Zamorians called themselves thieves. Bah, Conan, I like your grit. I never shared an adventure with anyone, but by Bell, we'll attempt this together if you're willing. In my head, this guy's played by Brian Blessed in the 1980s. Yeah, totally. Gordon's alive? That guy. In my head this time when I read it, it was Chris Farley (laughs) out of Beverly Hills Ninja. (laughs) So Sagittarius says he's been planning this for months. Sagittarius. But Conan says... getting worse. (laughs) But Conan says, you killed a guard already and you didn't even hide the body. That's kind of an amateur move. And then Taurus Mm. goes, oh, I'm an amateur, said the novice to the master of the art. Mm. Check this out, dude. They aren't going to miss this guy for a while. 
if I hid his body, then they eventually they go looking for him. And when they would go looking for him, they might find us. Yeah. But if I leave his body out in the open, when they come looking for him, they'll see him, they'll freak out, they'll sound the alarm, and then we'll know the jig is up and we'll get out of here. And then Conan says, you are right. Yeah, Conan, he's, I got to admire Conan. He just calls it out when a plan makes sense. Yeah. Just admits he's wrong. So Toro says there are no human guards in the inner garden and he's got that covered. And Conan says, well, what about the guards in the base of the tower, like inside of it? He says that Yara lives in the upper part of the tower and so does the gem. That's where they're going to go. So we'll sneak up and kill him before he has a chance to use his black magic on us. Mm -hmm. He says this, which I like. At least we'll try. It's the chance of being turned into a spider or a toad against the wealth and power of a world. All good thieves must know how to take risks. Yep. And I was like, yeah, this guy isn't that cocky. I mean, he's good at what he does, but he's got this kind of sense of perspective. It's high risk, high reward. And uh, Conan says, you know, I like it. Let's roll. Let's do it. So they partner up right away. I, I wouldn't be trusting this guy. Right. Somebody, the prince, prince of thieves, and you would be trusting. But for now, let's <laughs> see how it plays out. Despite his bulk, Taurus again moves like a ninja over that inner wall and Conan follows. Conan notices there are no doors or windows on this tower and Taurus tells him they're just really cleverly constructed and hidden mm -hmm. so you can't see them because this is, you know, some awesome tower. And the garden, it's a garden inside the center part. It's got some shrubs and stuff. Taurus tells Conan to get behind him as he can see some eyes hiding in the bushes. And these aren't human eyes. So Taurus pulls out this little copper tube and he pushes Conan back against the outer wall and he says, you know, don't move. Right. And the forms move closer and they're lions. Those are what the guards are. Yeah, they're, they're not human guards. They're lion guards. When they they're said they were quiet lions. They don't make any sound, which is kind of strange for lions. They don't growl. They don't. They're just really yeah. quiet lions. Conan says, look out. They're about to charge. And Taurus is like, shut up, you fool. I'm working here. <laughs> and as the, they get a little bit closer, he blows this tube and some yellowish powder shoots out. And then it turns into this green cloud. And then Taurus just runs back to where Conan is standing. The lions walk out into it and they just drop dead. But there's a second where it's kind of worrisome because Conan's like, what is that mist that you just sprayed out there? Taurus says, it's death. If a wind springs up and blows it back upon us, we have to flee over the wall because this might come back on them. You yeah. know, this is chemical warfare. But no, yes. the wind is still and now it's dissipating. And then, yes, the, the lines come out into it. Boom, gone, yeah. dead. Psh, just drop over. And then Conan goes, well, wait, why don't we use that stuff on the inner guards and, instead of like trying to scale this tower? And then he goes, dude, that's all I had. Obtaining this stuff is what gave me my reputation because it was so hard to get. Taurus got really punished on social media for killing those lions. <laughs> it was... After this, he, he couldn't go back home too soon. They were Zamora's favorite lions. Pebbles and Frankie. They all, they all got it. Uh, yeah, he tells about how he stole this uh, this lotus. It was an adventure in and of itself just to steal this poison that exactly. he used to kill the lions. But now the lions are down. It's time for them to get up into the tower. I think that's a good place for us to pause I think right that now. is a great place to pause. Ooh, I'm so the, the heist is underway. It's about to happen. They're going to use a basically a grappling hook to get up there. Yeah. Which is, which is, I love grappling hooks. Yeah. I like anything that involves a grappling hook, so that makes me happy. Excited to talk about that next time. I want to thank Christopher Barnes for suggesting a Conan story because we have, we've been dying to do one. Dying to do it. And also for, for doing a great job reading. Thanks so much, Kip. Thank you so much. And uh, next week, we'll finish up this story. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. I'm Chris Lackey. And you've been listening to the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. At HPPodcraft.com. <laughs>